KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Good morning. I'm Matt Hoffman. In for Debbie Cruz, it's Monday, October 2nd. San Diegans remember Senator Dianne Feinstein. More on that next, but first, let's get to the headlines. This week is Banned Book Week. It draws national attention to censorship efforts. Libraries and organizations throughout the county are holding events to educate the community about the negative effects of censorship. Here is Renee Tarver with the North San Diego County Alumni Chapter of the Delta Sigma Theta Sorority. What banned books are about, what options people have, um, because the opposition to this is a well-organized machine. We want to not be reactionary. We want educated community, and we want the community to know how they can fight back. The week of events comes shortly after Governor Gavin Newsom signed a bill that forbids book bans in schools and prohibits school boards from banning instructional materials. Voter information pamphlets are on their way to registered voters for the upcoming November 7th special election. Pamphlets are being sent to voters in the 4th Supervisors District, the City of Chula Vista, Fallbrook Public Utility District, and Rainbow Municipal Water District. The pamphlet has election information including voting options, election deadlines, and candidate statements. These pamphlets will also be online at sdvote.com, and ballots will begin arriving in the mail next week. San Diego's MTS Transit Service is bringing back its free ride day, and that's happening on Wednesday. People will be able to ride MTS buses and trolleys all for free that day. The same goes for the North County Transit District's Coaster and Sprinter trains, and they cover parts of North County. Free ride day is the same as California's Clean Air Day. That's where residents across the state are encouraged to take steps to reduce their emissions and improve air quality. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Senator Dianne Feinstein died on Thursday. She was the longest-serving female senator in U.S. history. Reporter M.G. Perez spoke to community members about Senator Feinstein's life and her legacy. Senator Feinstein was known as a champion for many marginalized communities. On social issues, she was a fierce ally of the LGBTQ plus community. San Diego Pride Executive Director Fernando Lopez says her replacement must continue her legacy. 
we're looking at an attack on voting rights, an attack on reproductive choice, an attack on communities of color and the LGBT community. So we really need someone right now who can represent all of California, all of America, and make sure that our freedoms and democracy are protected. That includes California's Hispanic community. Roberto Alcantar is board president of Southwestern College. She had a presence here in San Diego. She had a local office. So that just showed me the dedication that she had for our community, whether it was border related issues, whether it was education, whether it was, you know, supporting some of the most marginalized communities. She was there. M.G. Perez, KPBS News. Governor Gavin Newsom is set to appoint a temporary replacement to fill the Senate seat. San Diego scientists are advancing an effort to turn plants into allies in the battle to slow global warming. Researchers at the Salk Institute of Biological Studies are working to turn the world's major crops into carbon capture superheroes. Environment reporter Eric Anderson has details. Here you can see a fully grown pennycress plant. Wolfgang Busch holds up a transparent pot full of pennycress roots. He's leading the effort to figure out how plants with deep root systems can help slow global warming. So plants are, you know, the world record holders in getting carbon dioxide out of the air that causes the greenhouse effect and and thereby climate change, and they grow everywhere. And some plants are particularly efficient at transforming that carbon into stems, leaves, and roots. The root systems have the attention of researchers who see this trait as a key to getting carbon out of the air and stored in the ground. The deeper you put that carbon in the root system, the the slower the decomposition gets. So carbon that is below 30 centimeters, below um, a a foot in the soil, is much, much more stable, will, will hang around much longer in the soil. Bush says researchers have already identified more than 100 genes that guide the creation of deep and robust root systems. They hope to either breed those traits into crops or use modern gene splicing technology to give those abilities to the most commonly grown plants. If you just take five major crops, the most prevalent crops, and you would pool their growth area, it would cover the whole subcontinent of India. It's like so much soil being covered by these plants. And even though if, uh, you know, even if a plant will do very little on its own, the massive scale of agriculture can make a dramatic impact. The Harnessing Plants Initiative was an idea germinated by Salk researcher Joanne Corey. She thinks new and improved plants can increase crop yields, boost soil quality, and scrub carbon out of the air. Yeah, I think we could take out 10 gigatons by this method. That's not the whole amount we need to take out every year, but we could make a big contribution to the whole. 10 gigatons is about a quarter of the carbon dioxide that humans put into the air each year. One particular plant of interest is typha, cattails. The plant is robust and it produces a prodigious amount of seeds. It's one of the three species that grows almost in all wetlands. Todd Michael handles a mature cattail plant with a tightly wound ball of roots. And the roots grow so fast. This is an amazing plant. It's like a machine sucking up nutrients. He says the plant is one of the best at moving carbon into a corked molecule known as suberin. Michael is trying to isolate the genetic characteristics that allow cattails to do that. And the hope is those abilities can be transferred to other plants. 
they grab onto the surrounding substrate and they build. So they are basically building uh, land and you can see that they're sort of tight and this is actually what's capturing the carbon and this becomes um, oxygen free. And sealing out oxygen keeps the roots from decomposing. It essentially locks the carbon inside the root ball. Two years of sequencing typha genomes has pointed researchers in encouraging directions, but the goal of an army of plants fighting global warming remains decades away. There are a lot of recent events that suggest that we need to be moving fast. And some of the solutions that we're talking about are 10, 20 years out. But we need to be working on them now because this is really what technology is really about, right? We need to be working on every angle. So not just, you know, carbon scrubbers, but how do we use plants? We need to cut down on emissions. All of these solutions come together. The idea's promise has attracted plenty of supporters. Energy companies like the Hess Corporation and Semper Energy are investing money. So is the Bezos Earth Fund and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. All hope to leverage their investments into strategies that will keep the planet from heating up. Eric Anderson, KPBS News. A study shows that roadkills of deer and coyotes have fallen in California, and that's over the past seven years. SciTech reporter Thomas Fudge explains why that's bad news for wildlife. The annual report by the Road Ecology Center at UC Davis shows that road kills of California's native deer, the mule deer, have dropped annually by 10 percent. And that doesn't mean Californians are becoming more careful drivers. Center Director Fraser Schilling says those stats are a strong indication that mule deer populations are dropping. He says their roadkill data is consistent with other estimates of deer populations. And if it's really true that deer are going down by 10 percent per year, then we have a serious ecological and social problem. This is an iconic species for California. People love them. If you lose deer, you're going to lose mountain lion. You're going to lose gray wolf. He says climate change is a factor in mule deer declines. Tens of thousands of deer are also killed in car collisions every year. Schilling says probably more than are killed by deer hunters. Thomas Fudge, KPBS News. Coming up, our KPBS arts reporter takes us behind the scenes of the world premiere of Sumo. The primary intention is not to teach people about the sport. It is to illuminate humanity inside of the sport. We'll have that story coming up just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I. La Jolla Playhouse recently launched the world premiere of Sumo. It's a play set inside of an elite sumo training facility in Tokyo. It's where six men practice, live together, and ultimately fight each other. Arts reporter Beth Akamondo takes us behind the scenes to learn more about this traditional Japanese sport. Sumo is a battle of giants with its origin dating back some 2,000 years to a legendary clash of gods over the fate of Japan. 
a sport steeped in culture and tradition, says Japanese-American playwright Lisa Sanaye Dring. And I was so entranced by the idea of a sport being so powerful and so ferocious and so wild and then also so restrained and so filled with ceremony and honor. It comes from mythology, right? Of Shinto mythology of the gods. James Yagashi serves as the play's fight choreographer as well as cultural and martial arts advisor. A lot of the rituals that we see in the dohyo, which is the ring, are abstractions of basically showing the opponent that you are unarmed. Which is, of course, why they only have a, basically a mawashi, which is a glorified loincloth, so to speak. And they're naked otherwise, and they, they spread their arms, they show that they've got nothing, and it's just a sheer competition of, of strength. <laughs> Set in an elite training facility, the play highlights the massive physical strength of the wrestlers. Sometimes there's a ton, like a literal ton of power when you like do the math on like two bodies hitting each other like that, that's there. And so that is hopefully what we are portraying to the audience, of like how strong these men are. Sanaye Dring wanted to create a space where Asian men could have lead roles and where the topic would not be racism or victimization. And so in this play, it leads with, oh, that's not the conversation here. We are not having to prove our masculinity, the men on stage and the people on stage are not having to prove their masculinity because it's not challenged which I feel like in many conversations in the theater right now, whiteness is uh, assaulting some parts of Asianness. What is it to enter in a place of strength? The play is about strength, with the sumo ring as an omnipresent reminder of what's driving the characters. I wanted to tell the story of someone who is rising to power inside of a structured hierarchy, who is also challenging that hierarchy, and then is also so changed by the system which he is in that he doesn't know who he is at the end of it. It made me think about like what an athlete is, what a devotional practice is, and how you give your whole self to it. So it's like, what is it to completely revolutionize your mindset from being an entity unto oneself into a part of this machine. And that's also Japanese culture as well. Which is why Yegashi's input was key. He grew up in Japan, but also lives in the U.S., and he knows the traditions of sumo. First and foremost, I'm interested in trying to capture sort of iconic images of what we see as sumo. But then in addition to that, there's sort of the theatrical element of how do we then make these images, these rituals or movements interesting in a theatrical setting. Yegashi's fight choreography involved intense physical training for the actors before they could begin to develop fighting styles that could reflect their characters. At the same time, this had to reflect the rules and rituals of sumo. You know, it's not a bar fight. A sumo wrestling match is not that. And so I think in any sport, there looks like a dance involved, even if it's a dance of besting one another. Audiences don't need to know anything about sumo before coming to the play, but they might leave with a greater appreciation of an ancient Japanese sport. The primary intention is not to teach people about the sport. It is to illuminate humanity inside of this sport. 
Sanaye Dring's play does that in a bold new way and with a sense of physical power that Asian men do not often have on the American stage. Beth Accomando, KPBS News. Sumo runs through October 22nd at La Jolla Playhouse's Mandel Weiss Forum. That's going to wrap the podcast today. Keep in mind, you can always find more San Diego news on our website, kpbs.org. It's been a pleasure being here with you on the podcast this week. My colleague, John Carroll, will be stepping in for the rest of the week until Debbie Cruz comes back. Be sure to join John tomorrow for the day's top stories, plus a story about how artists created the giant mosaic at La Jolla Shores. I'm Matt Hoffman. I know it's Monday, but make it a great week. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, shaping the next generation of data-driven problem solvers. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu.